Hello, and welcome to Best of Shows, a weekly conversation about the biggest things happening on the small screen and a guide to what TV is and is not worth your time. I'm Kristen Baldwin, TV critic at Entertainment Weekly, and I'm joined by my fellow EW critic and TV junkie, Darren Franich. Hi, Darren. How are you? Kristen, let me tell you something. I feel great. And you know why I feel great? Well, Kristen, you know what's great about television is sometimes so many, so many things, but it has the ability to, I'll just say it, heal the world. (laughs) And, and one thing that happened on television, uh, just this last week that really healed the world for me was, uh, on Fox's The Masked Singer. Yes. Uh, there was a masked moment of unity, which I know you've been asking for for Mm -hmm, a long time. mm -hmm. And I've been asking for it for a long time. Uh, the creatures all came out, they sang, they danced. Uh, and it just it just felt like it was a really positive moment for our species, frankly. Wow. Um, all, or, or, or dare I say it for all species, since yes. you know, the monster and the peacock were there, too. Right. Some species <laughs> that don't even exist. <laughs> uh, and Kristen, uh, I'm especially excited uh, about The Masked Singer this week because uh, in a few minutes uh, towards the end of the show, I'll be speaking to the executive producer of The Masked Singer, Craig Plestis. So many questions about the show that... Uh, I know we're going to get into. I can't uh, I just, wait. It's such a it's such a rare kind of phenomenon, and it's funny that even now I can't believe it's the success that it is. And it got uh, renewed. And so. it got renewed. And and don't you just love Kristen? Just think of all of the stars who right now are telling their agents like contact the masked singer. <laughs> Literally, like it went from. They, there's no way they could have gotten anyone famous to now it's on the speed dial of every agent who's, you know, trying to get there. You know, my my client wants to be I mean, do you think they'll have new costumes like that's I have so many questions. You can you can answer get these questions answered in your interview. But like, I do wonder if people are going to be, you know, I want to be the monster this time or if they want to come up with their own costumes. Yeah, I, I have to imagine. I mean, like I'm I'm already kind of doing my like fantasy football draft of who I hope <laughs> is going to be involved. Um, but let's just say that if the Masked Singer casts anyone from the OC, that'll be right up my alley. Oh, uh, wow. But, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see. It'll, it'll be it'll be great to talk to him. But uh, Kristen, I, I do want to kind of segue us into our What's New segment where we talk about what's new in television new? Uh, short answer a thousand things <gasps> uh, longer answer Kristen let's talk a bit about miracle workers on TBS uh, debuts on February 12th this is a new series created by Simon Rich based on his book what in God's name and I, I think you could essentially describe it and indeed you Kristen Baldwin have as the office but in heaven kind of <laughs> yes um, or you know this this it is essentially a workplace sitcom uh, but the workplace is Heaven Incorporated, Mm -hmm. uh, which is ruled over by uh, a CEO named God, played by Steve Buscemi with, it's interesting, it's Steve Buscemi, but it's almost him channeling um, a very Jeff Lebowski look uh, from the Big Lebowski. Wait, is it Jeff Lebowski? Is that his name? In um, in Big Lebowski, uh, is his name Jeff? I should know this because my husband is obsessed with this movie. I thought, wait, but then who's the actor? Uh, Well, that's Jeff Bridges. So they share a name? They do share a name. I, it's almost like he's like the alter I, ego. You know? I am very sorry that we have derailed this podcast uh, <laughs> because I really didn't realize that his first name was Jeff. But yes, he is Buscemi as Lebowski as God. 
and then uh, he has decided, uh, long story short, he has decided to maybe make some changes with the whole Earth thing, uh, <laughs> i.e. Uh, destroy it. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, the, the main thrust of the show is actually is actually focusing on uh, some employees who work down in the Answered Wishes Bureau. Is Answered that what it's prayers. called? Answered Prayers. Yeah. Um, one of whom is uh, Daniel Radcliffe from such films as uh, All the Harry Potters. Uh, and... Uh, <laughs> The other lead performer is Geraldine Viswanathan, who I think a lot of people would have seen in the movie Blockers. So good um, in that movie. They are essentially on a quest to answer a single prayer. Uh, in this case, it's an answered prayer about two people who want to fall in love. A um, lot, lot of wacky things happen. This is definitely the definition of a wacky sitcom, Kristen. Yeah. Uh, you reviewed it. Uh, how did you feel about Miracle Workers? You know, I mean, first of all, Daniel Radcliffe is just so adorable, and he's very funny and endearing uh, as his character Craig, sort of this twitchy, eager, lonely angel who's been toiling in the basement office of the Answered Prayers department. And we realize, we find out that Answered Prayers is actually a really hard department to be in because anytime you try to do anything to answer like a big prayer, like end a famine or, you know, save someone's life, there are always catastrophic side effects. So he's resigned himself to sort of answer little prayers like, please help me find my keys or can I get better Wi-Fi, that kind of thing. Um, so he's down there and then, uh, uh, Geraldine's character uh, comes in and she is very eager and wants to really start, you know, uh, helping answer bigger prayers. And then they get into this wager with God. It's a whole thing. Um, it is, it's a lot, there's a lot of really funny stuff in there. Um, there's a funny running joke with a newscaster who reports the tragedies caused by the angels accidentally in a very dry, biting way. Like he'll say, in my 20 years as a journalist, I've never seen such a beloved community figure suffer so randomly and horribly. And this is after the angels had made his appendix burst, you know, in 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 uh, in an effort to help make these two people fall in love. But like so there's a lot of, you know, sort of dark and dry humor. But then it does tend to go for very like heartwarming moments, which like is nice, but I, I wanted it to have a little bit more of an edge. Yeah, I, I would describe this as a almost painfully cute show. Yeah, yeah. Um, what you're saying about the heartwarming thing, Kristen, it sort of feels as if in the last 10, 15 years, you've had this emergence of sitcoms and the office was certainly forefront there where, you know, Every episode will do a lot of kind of harsh, funny, witty, dry humor, but we'll also try to find a kind of heart moment. Mm -hmm, Modern mm -hmm. Family is also, you know, kind of, yes. is, is also kind of a prime example of this. This one, something in the percentage just seems really off. Um, you know, uh, over the course of the of the seven episode first season, um, you know, as as much as it is kind of a comedy about saving the world, it kind of just becomes very sincerely about that. Also, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and and I'll just say. There is a like sincere emotional moment in the finale set to After the Curtain by Beirut. And I love, <laughs> I, I, I want to say, I, I love the band Beirut. Yes. I, I, I certainly wrote some of my most, you know, tear streaked journal entries uh, while listening to Beirut in mm -hmm, college. Um, mm -hmm. But you kind of just feel that, yeah, like this is a show that wants to be sort of harsh and funny. And like Steve Buscemi as God is just terrible at his job right. and is, you know, an awful depiction of, you know, the, the father of, of, of the universe. But it doesn't quite have its knives out as yeah. much as you might hope. That, that was kind of my main feeling was this is sort of the material for a bleak, 
probably British sitcom. <laughs> and but it, it's too bad because, as you said, a lot of the actors are are really you right. know wonderful. And Radcliffe, especially, I mean, this is a huge compliment, Kristen. He is one of the strangest looking megastars. He really like, is ever. And, and, and it's it's great because it's just it's so rare that you get someone at his level of fame who just had, he almost has Steve Buscemi bug eyes yeah. at this point. And, and they, it's just it's 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 wonderful and it's great for the character in, in Miracle Work. It really too. does work because he's always just so like stressed out and anxious and like <laughs> yeah he does look very worried uh, you know all the time. And I also want to give a shout out to uh, Karen Sony. Uh, hopefully I'm saying his name correctly. He's uh, from a show called Other Space, but you also might recognize him from a series of AT&T ads. He was the guy in the car going, my selfie just hit 100 likes, which I always loved. Anyway, he um, he plays God's sort of deputy, but he's always like uh, being put upon to do these, you know, really a ridiculous things that God wants to wants him to do, for example. Uh, and this is an example of the humor that I would like to see more of. Um, God gets angry at Bill Maher, and rather than um, just killing him, he wants uh, he wants his deputy to make Bill Maher's penis explode. And like it becomes this whole subplot in the episode about how you actually make that happen. And, he, you know, the character has to go to uh, the Department of Genitals, and they're like, well, we're not really, you know, it's not really in our mission to explode genitals we're here to create genital you know and it's like all this bureaucracy and he ends up having to do it himself but the actor is so good at like doing this tamp down misery and frustration um i would like to see more of that sort of existential angst and and blowing up bill maher's penis like i think that kind of humor if they just they don't have to go all the way dark but i think if they just made it a little darker uh it certainly ends on a note where you could have a season two so if they do move forward with it i hope they embrace their dark side a little more yeah you know uh, sony's performance it's so great he really does kind of capture this this like middle manager yes. of the great beyond vibe <laughs> and just like simultaneously so preening and narcissistic and proud of the fact that he gets to take meetings with god yes but but it's it's the kind of character where it's almost kind of like it's almost sort of like playing the, the lieutenant to the tyrant where you're above everyone but like then you go into the throne room and you are just the total runt of the universe and yes. you have to do everything that the comes into God's mind. But yeah, again, it's kind of the example of you know that subplot you're talking about is God literally just being like, I want to kill someone. Yeah, because he's <laughs> Which, offended by a he's joke. A, he, exactly, because he, he's offended by a joke. He's offended by Bill Maher being an atheist. And, you know, again, you see that and you're kind of like, oh, okay, well, this is a bleak show where, you know, it's like Preacher or something where God is like a really bad guy. And then the show's a little too cute to ever really yeah. own that in the end. Um, so yeah, it's, it's too bad. I This is very much, I feel like, in the tone of a lot of TV CBS's recent comedies mm -hmm. where it, it feels like it's doing a lot of kind of fun, absurdist stuff. And yeah, I, I almost kind of wonder, Kristen, if in a season two, I'm not sure it needs the serialized structure. Yeah. Um, and maybe just because I've seen a lot of shows recently where in episode one of the season, someone says the world is going to end and the whole season is a countdown to that. Yeah. But, but this is the first show, Kristen, where there's literally a countdown clock to yes. Armageddon frequently on screen in every episode. It, just, it adds this weird, very artificial quality to the storytelling, I think, which is too bad because the wacky stuff that's all kind of along the side is really kind of genuinely fun and genuinely doing something kind of new, I, I, I think. And I, I do think that they could go with a more episodic structure in season two where you know because god is in is completely inept and hapless and like always screwing things up and like they ba 
basically have to manage up in a way where they are <laughs> keeping him away from running the earth because he's so bad at it and but making him feel like everything is his idea and that's funny that's you know relatable so i do think if they could find a balance um i would be up for watching more you know i mean Something like Search Party, also on TBS, gets really, really dark. And that can be, uh, you know, that can be hard to take. I love Search Party. I think that's a great show. But, like, I do think there's a middle ground between, like, complete, you know, utter bleakness and cutesy end on a high note, you know, uh, storytelling. So maybe maybe in season two they can find that. Oh, uh, Search Party got so dark in season so two. Gosh, dark. that that's a show where I mean I, I have to say I'm I'm always very impressed by shows that want to make very bold moves. Yeah, but, but that is definitely an example of a show where after the first season, which I consider to be essentially perfect. Yes, I, I was honestly wondering like, did you just go too far? Yeah. <laughs> like, is there no way to come back from <laughs> this? Know. It's really grim. Which also, by the way, watch Search Party if you haven't because it is. Uh, fantastic and Aaliyah Shakwat deserves all the props she can get uh, for it so uh, but anyway uh, Miracle Worker starts February 12th on TBS I think it's worth checking out especially if you do enjoy Daniel Radcliffe and his adorable little worried meerkat face he is just really uh, you know I think this is a, a, a nice role for him whether or not the show moves forward uh, so our next show is a sequel of sorts to the 1992 hit romantic comedy Boomerang, which in the film Eddie Murphy starred as a playboy ad, ad executive who gets sort of played by a man-eater named Jacqueline, played by Robin, Robin Givens. And ultimately, he falls for a smart, independent artist named Angela, played by a young lady named Halle Berry. And uh, in BET's new dramedy, Boomerang, uh, Eddie Murphy's character Marcus and Angela, uh, they had a daughter and their grown daughter Simone, played by Tatona Jackson. Uh, we meet her as she's deciding to quit the family's ad agency and strike out on her own. And while none of the stars of the movie are set to appear in Boomerang, the show does a really nice job updating the idea of young, ambitious black professionals figuring out their lives with the help of their friends. Simone's group of friends includes Bryson, played by Taquan Richmond, who happens to be the son of Jacqueline from the movie. He's got an unrequited love for Simone, but their history is very complicated because, of course, his mom dated her dad. So yikes. Um, I love the movie Boomerang, streaming now on Amazon. Go watch it. So I went into this with a little apprehension, you know, because you never want a movie you love to be sort of screwed up by, you know, uh, a reboot or anything like that. But I think this show has done a nice job capturing the spirit of the original, which was really, you know, it was not the norm at the time in 1992 to have a group of black professional friends, you know, successful uh, living, working, dating in New York City. That was, you know, that was unusual at the time. And they've done a nice job now sort of updating that with um, these young black professional millennials, uh, standalone characters. But Darren, since you haven't seen the movie, which still hurts my heart, by the way, I am um, interested to see if the show appealed to you, you know, sort of on its own without the context of the film. 
I haven't seen the movie, Kristen, but I do feel that after some of our Slack conversations <laughs> in the last couple of weeks, I, I feel that I have experienced some part of it uh, just yes. from your level of fandom around it. Yes. But it, it's very interesting to come into a sequel series like this not knowing the original. I, I did get the sense that there were some clear-cut references that I was perhaps missing. Right. Um, there is a moment where uh, Simone is being called by her father and like Eddie Murphy's face just kind of pops up in her phone. <laughs> <laughs> and the weird thing is that, like, it, it's his face, I, I believe, at, at least in our screener, it's a picture of him from, like, circa the original movie. Yes, yes. Which, which made me think, like, so wait, is is Marcus Graham, like, you know, is, is his, like, profile picture or is the one that his daughter uses a picture of him from the 90s? From but, the poster. Uh, from, from, from the poster, <laughs> exactly. Is it from the poster of the movie? Um, so it, it, some, of, some of that stuff, uh, d you know, the level of referentiality just didn't really work on me. But I kind of had the same reaction you did. I just feel like this is a very fun series. Um, you know, the first episode is largely kind of set all around uh, a, a sort of Mad Men-ish, like, you know, advertising gambit where uh, Bryson, who feels that he's kind of being um, overlooked and ignored at the ad agency, uh, he has a sort of bold new idea for a energy drink that they're trying to sell. Um, and uh, he sort of tries to create that. Meanwhile, Simone, who's left the agency, is now kind of trying to hustle as essentially a like agent right or as yeah. a, a um and, and uh, she she sort of finds who, who she thinks is a future star uh, in a strip club and they sort of um have all kinds of you know it, it's set up very quickly that um you know this will be a sort of work and play kind of a series yes. uh and i i like that a lot i have to say the most exciting part of the, of the pilot for me was when uh, joey badass appeared um <laughs> as uh simone's i'm not gonna say boyfriend but they definitely have some kind of a hookup relationship yes. um joey badass I'm, I'm afraid to say I, I barely know anything about his music but he was on mr robot he's he's a recurring character <laughs> on that show and he has like an extended monologue about the Seinfeld finale on Mr. Robot. That's one of the greatest things ever. So wh wh wherever he goes in television now, uh, I'll follow. definitely follow him. But I'm intrigued to know, Kristen, did you feel like, um, you know, th the thing that worried me in the first episode is that this is a show where characters seem to be talking a lot about uh, characters played by more famous actors who will not be appearing on the show. Um, did you sort of feel like what was the deference to the original? Was that a problem? Was that kind of fun for you? Like, you know, did you kind of feel like this was honoring the spirit of the original movie? Yeah, I mean, the the premiere, especially, you know, there's a lot of talk about Marcus and, you know, uh, Bryson talks about his mom and all of that. But I did feel like by the second episode, they were they had really left that behind. The second episode is just a group of them playing uh, celebrity at Bryson's apartment. It's a game night. And the awesome. episode's called Game Night. And they're just it, the whole thing takes place there. And it's really sort of about all these very complicated relationship dynamics between Bryson and Simone and then uh, their friend David who's a pastor which is amazing and then he's got an, uh, a romantic history with Simone's best friend Crystal and there's all that and then their friend Ari who is quote unquote sexually fluid and he's like uh, he's sort of this creative slacker who makes digital movies and he calls himself a director but he's there with like some guy he met and you know he just shows up and it's very you know it's got a really sort of relaxed vibe and this group does have a good chemistry and in that case I really did think that the show really captured um, 
in the original film, Eddie Murphy hangs out with his friends, played by David Alan Greer, who's sort of this uptight guy, and Martin Lawrence, who uh, plays this character who's all into, like, racial conspiracy theories, and he's very high-strung and, like, sort of, you know, like, always pushing, like, man, the man's trying to keep us down. And they're very different characters, but you really, you, their friendship came across as very genuine and I liked the fact that this group of friends uh, also there's a the dancer that they find at the strip club her name's Tia she's played by Lala Milan who is apparently a social media comedian she's very hey! funny um, they're all different characters very different types of people but you believe that they're friends and I really liked uh, them just hanging out together I thought was really funny and um, and genuine. I do, there were some Easter eggs, as you might call them, to the original, like <laughs> when uh, Tia is doing her dance, she's got um, these words painted on her body and one of them is Steel Vagina, which is directly from the film. Grace Jones <laughs> is in the film and Grace Jones plays a character named Strong Jay, who's just this crazy outlandish woman um, who wants to name her perfume Steel Vagina. So, I mean, again, like if you haven't seen this movie people go and see it it is amazing it's on amazon it's hilarious anyway so there were some good easter eggs that you know made warmed my heart as a fan of the movie but i did think that the the show itself has a lot of potential on its own we should say too um this show is a co-created by uh, lena waith uh, yes. part of her kind of ever expanding uh, personal industry of uh, tv shows and movies um and uh, i'm not sure that we've mentioned yet Kristen, but uh, for me the, the real star of the first episode uh, was the the fact that Paula Newsom is on oh, this show. She's so good. She's incredible. I mean, uh, you know, uh, fans of Barry will, of course, recognize yes. her. She was the investigator on Barry and really wound up giving one of the best and really most surprising character performances yeah. of 2018. That character really came to almost kind of dominate the show by the end in, in a really wonderful way. And she is sort of playing the person who's in charge of the ad agency, uh, who's, who's essentially in charge of Bryson. Yeah. Um, and she just has a great kind of few scenes in, in the first episode where you kind of go on a journey with her from thinking that she is just the sort of awful boss figure um, to really getting more sense of her and a sense of her dimensions and she's just a wonderful performer so it, it, seeing her I was kind of like okay like I'm not getting the references too much uh, <laughs> but like uh, I'll, I'll follow this performer wherever she goes. I, me too and I really do hope we see more of her with Bryson uh, at the office because she is you know she's older and they you know the younger kids sort of reply uh, re refer to her as auntie and kind of tease her <laughs> about like oh she's gonna win an NAACP award for this you know for this ad campaign but like she is formidable like you know she's not a caricature she's somebody who yes she's older than these young kids but she also knows a lot more than they do in a lot of ways and she's not having it when they try to sort of usurp her authority so I do. I hope we see more of her because she's fantastic. Uh, Boomerang debuts on BET February 12th. Uh, and uh, now, Kristen, it's time for us to shift to a segment we like to call TV Talk, where we talk about TV, but specifically... <laughs> Specifically, we talk about the big news in television. Yes. And Kristen, I, I kind of just wanted us to take a step back and talk about a show that, for a large part of this decade, was 
if not the definition of success, then was certainly, you know, an absolute icon for what success means on television in the 20 teens. Uh, I'm talking, of course, about The Walking Dead, uh, which returned last night for its mid-season premiere. Uh, this is season 127. No, 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 no. This is season nine. Um, the uh, show, of course, is set in the zombie apocalypse. Uh, it has followed a ever-expanding colony and multiple colonies of survivors as they attempt to create a new civilization uh, that invariably will get destroyed by a combination of the walking dead and evil living people. Um, Kristen, we're in an interesting time for the walking dead right now. Uh, the main series has been losing ratings for the last couple of years. Uh, you know, it's recently hit some series lows in, in, in some metrics. Um, you know, uh, the mid season premiere, uh, was not necessarily a good episode of television. Uh, and I, I, I'm left wondering if it was even really an episode of television, given how little really happened in it. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it is still by any benchmark a very successful TV series. Um, and AMC is almost kind of quadrupling down on Walking Dead-related content right mm -hmm. now. Um, oh gosh, yes. In addition to Fear the Walking Dead, the TV spinoff that has essentially just become a very, very close relative to The Walking Dead. That's a show that was once very different and now looks more and more similar. Um, you also have the upcoming series of spinoff movies starring uh, Andrew Lincoln as Rick Grimes, who was once the main character on, on the main series. Um, you know, there's rumors of more expansions to come. So, Kristen, I, I, I'm left kind of wondering, how do we feel about The Walking Dead right now? It, it, but, but by some metrics, it seems like it is at the tail end of its time right. a, a, as a hit. Um, but, you know, AMC clearly feels that this is a show that may in fact be its entryway into the streaming world and into sort of like building up their own streaming service, right. AMC Premiere. Um, how did you feel about the mid-season premiere, I guess? And, and in general, what's your kind of relationship to this show? Well, I would say in general, um, what I respect most about The Walking Dead is that it literally helped save a young woman's life. As anyone who listened to the Dirty John podcast knows, Tara Newell, who was attacked by her mom's estranged husband, John Meehan, used fighting techniques she learned from watching The Walking Dead to fend him off when he attacked her with a knife. This didn't really come up as much in the um, TV adaptation, but if you listen to the podcast, she says that like, as a fan of The Walking Dead, she really absorbed how to kill a zombie and she used those fighting techniques when this grown man attacked her with a knife and she ended up killing him so the walking dead saves lives um <laughs> other than that i've never really been able to get into the show like the color palette is so drab and i don't like all that gore and uh, but on the, you know, I understand why AMC is so desperate to keep this franchise afloat. You know, it is a huge hit for them, and so they've got the trilogy of the Rick, of Rick movies and prequels, sequels, whatever. But they want to make this a universe, and it's like, oh, with the universes already. But <laughs> as Disney has learned with Star Wars, it can be really tricky to keep going back to the same source material without experiencing diminishing returns, and. We've talked about this a little uh, offline, but, you know, my favorite show of all time is The Wire. So I'm trying to think about it in that way. Like, would I want three standalone Omar movies from the creators of The Wire or a sequel about Tommy Carsetti's run for president? And, you know, basically the answer is no. Like, <laughs> you know, we as consumers do not need 
these shows. Like, there are already so many good TV shows to watch, and uh, we, we'll never get to them all. So, like, the peop- it really does feel like the only people who want these shows and this, these universes are the networks, the studios, the ones looking to, you know, squeeze more monetary blood from a stone. And this is all a long way of saying, like, I think they just need to let it let it peter out, let it die. Like stars are leaving. There's some question of whether uh, Denai Gurira, whether or not she'll return, you know, for another season because now, you know, she's got Black Panther and she's a big star. And and it's just like, just, you know, don't let it limp to its death, even though it is a zombie show. Let it, you know, <laughs> try to let it go out remotely on top. It's no longer even on top, but like, don't let it get any less on top than it already is. Yeah. One thing that I find, Kristen, because I've definitely watched a lot of the show. Uh, you know, there was a time where I was recapping it for EW.com. Um, and like, th- Walking Dead, the mothership show, has been through ups and downs. Mm-hmm. And I mean, this was a show that was really like suffering from all kinds of behind the scene struggle and showrunners who were leaving and the original the original developer of the show frank darapont is still suing the walking dead i mean that lawsuit is literally still (laughs) happening Um, but it's what's funny is, you know, usually when a like lead creative mind leaves a show, and indeed usually when multiple lead creative minds <laughs> leave yeah. a show, that's a bad sign. But strangely, I would actually say that The Walking Dead for me hit an absolute pinnacle in its fourth season when it was on its third showrunner, uh, Scott Gimple. Um, and you know, but by then, you know, they'd spent a lot of time living in this prison, and it was very boring, and a lot of the characters were just kind of bad. And then the show really just kind of burned itself down and there was a whole season where you essentially just had these standalone episodes focusing on a couple of characters and it was very like low stakes there was one episode that was just about Daryl and uh, the blonde lady who was Maggie's sister were just trying to find like some alcohol somewhere <laughs> and it was it was really kind of wonderful and I, I think the difference then was you know what you were kind of saying about um, you know having a show that goes on for too long this is a show where I think everyone involved is kind of like oh you know we can make a universe out of this and like you know we can make another show and we can set shows elsewhere and the strange thing is that that almost kind of underrates just how solid the lead cast of the walking dead was right in in, in, in sort of the early phase of it and you know you you got to a point where you just had these characters like carol who had been a supporting person and then for a while almost became the star and i think one issue now is as we've sort of lost some of those original leads and, and you know the, the idea of losing michonne now is just horrifying to me because I sort of think that she really still carries a lot of the gravitas of, of this series because the, the simple fact is that you know it's hard to create fun new characters and I, I, <laughs> I, 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 I sort of worry that like The Walking Dead past a certain point some of the newer people just haven't really been that interesting and so yeah, yeah. You, do sort of, you do sort of wonder I mean like you know at, at what point do you get to that phase where it's it's still the Beach Boys performing but it's just Mike Love and then four schmoes who he hired <laughs> you know yesterday it's just it's so it's so odd and i think it speaks to that problem you're talking about of like is everything a universe <laughs> yeah it just doesn't need to be a universe and like why don't they let the sort of trajectory of fear the walking dead be instructive to them i mean 
that was supposed to be a prequel. It was supposed to be like there weren't going to be a lot of zombies or walkers or whatever. And it was going to be this whole other thing. And now it's just The Walking Dead. And yeah, it's it's so strange to have seen that happen to that show where the, the original pitch was literally like it's in Los Angeles and it's set kind of right at the early days of the apocalypse. Yeah. And all these different characters. And, and I mean, you know, it, it now is just, you know, they've brought one character over from The Walking yeah. Dead. And, and, you know, everyone's a gunslinger. It's it's more like a Western, like The Walking Dead. It's so, like, so what strange. would these other universes be? It would just be like, OK. Well, they're fighting zombies, but they're doing it in Iowa. Or everyone, they're everyone. fighting zombies, but they're doing it in space. Or like, I, I don't, oh my god, oh my space god. zombies. Oh, oh my god! But 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 even though they're in space, for some reason, all the main characters still wear brown shirts yes. and like blue jeans. Everyone in brown shirts and blue jeans. Very occasionally, a black leather jacket. That's all you have in the in the apocalypse. There really for are no bright colors, and it's like I get it. But if there are, if they are going to have all nice clothes that don't appear to be falling apart like it why didn't they why didn't somebody find a paisley like <laughs> why is everything tan and green and brown like these sort of earth tones it's just very depressing to look at and you know again i'm i know that like that's nitpicky and i get very nitpicky about shows like i start thinking about like where are they finding tampons? You know, like th- there are a lot of women on this show. Like, are, did they run out of tampons? What's happening? You know, and like, I would love there to be a whole conversation about that on the show. Right? That would be incredible. Like, it's, you know, we have people making bullets. Is somebody making homemade tampons? Like, <laughs> tell me about it. Like, so I get real bogged down in that kind of stuff. This is not my cup of tea, but I do. I just think like the the amount of energy that AMC is putting into, you know, trying to create this universe, they could put into finding new shows. Yeah, and here, here's one thing that I'll say in AMC's uh, kind of defense. Um, you know, again, th- I, I, they really do seem to be viewing The Walking Dead as a potential stepping stone for their uh, streaming service for yeah. AMC Premiere. Um, and even the mid-season uh, premiere, which aired last night, uh, that was available if you wanted to pay extra on AMC Premiere starting last week. Um, and they've done some other things like that recently with the show. You know, th- th- there's some rumors about, you know, to what extent are future Walking Dead movies? Do they air on AMC? Do right. they air on AMC Premiere? And, you know, I'll just say, I don't know how a successful cable network becomes a successful streaming service. And, yeah. and you know, I, no I, I, one I, does. I, no, no, no one does. It, it seems to me that the idea of taking a show that was at one point the most popular show and remains hugely popular, hugely popular, um, and sort of making that your forefront thing, I, I, I think that's maybe smart. Um, and, and certainly, you know, I understand the inkling to say, well, well, we need to sort of serve this fandom. Um, but I just, I, I, you worry about getting to a point where, okay, you have the main Walking Dead, which has been in a bit of a creative lull, and then you have Fear the Walking Dead, which is a lot more like The Walking Dead, and then you have, um, you know, these other movies that are starring the original guy from The Walking Dead, and yet you sort of worry about kind of killing the golden goose in a way. Yeah. And, and you know, you, you wonder if the thing to do now is to really, you know, make people yearn for this. You kind of mentioned the Star Wars thing, Kristen. Yeah. And I think that we're still 
people kind of in the midst of the Disney Star Wars verse. But I, I think one conclusion you can draw is, you know, not everything needs to be an annual franchise. Right. And, uh, you not know, every and, character needs their own movie. Exactly. And, and so, you know, you kind of wonder, you know, were they to right now, you know, cut down on The Walking Dead and make it this event that, you know, every year there's six or seven hours of stuff that AMC Premier customers can get. I, I don't know. It's, that, it's, that would be a good idea. But, but, but again, as I say that, I'm like, you know, every episode of The Walking Dead still gets more ratings right. than my entire, you know, 2018 top 10 list combined. So I, I but I just it, it feels to me as if they're in a really weird time with this franchise. Um, and I think the thing it doesn't need is a whole episode about uh, Negan sort of just being sad, <laughs> which is pretty much what the mid-season premiere yeah, was. And like he has a shovel now. I don't know what happened with the bat. Like, I don't really care. But like now he's walking around with a shovel and then he goes back to the place where I guess all his cronies were and then one of them's a zombie so he has to kill him and then like I wasn't really clear like something happened to his food like it was the whole thing was weird <laughs> and and you know I, I, I really was at one point hoping Judith would shoot him I was like just do it shoot him shoot him shoot him at the beginning when he's like because that would be bold yeah, it's been it's been a couple of years now of viewers just staring at the screen, like saying, shoot him, shoot him, shoot him, <laughs> which is unfortunate because I love Jeffrey Dean Morgan yeah. so much. I, I, I almost want them to do like the soap opera thing where like Negan's twin shows up and he's uh, just like, hi, I am. I'm a charming non maniac who yeah. can now sort of take over the, 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 the central stardom of this show. And, you know, you know, you're not going to look at me, Regan, and always remember <laughs> the time that I killed, you know, one of the most beloved characters characters in TV history. So it's just, yeah, I, 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 I'm hopeful that AMC can figure it out because, you know, if nothing else, The Walking Dead and its phenomenon has supported a lot of great shows on AMC that don't earn those kinds of ratings. Shout out to Lodge 49. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I just, I, I sort of worry. This is definitely a show that I've tracked through its ups and downs, Kristen, and I'm, I'm not sure that the quadruple down method is really the the best thing for this franchise right now well this is something that i i would definitely like to hear from our listeners about you know just uh in terms of because i feel like there's probably a lot of people who agree with us but probably plenty more who don't so i think they should tweet at us at Kristen g baldwin but really at darren franich because he, he knows more about the show than i do yes I'm as just... Kristen was as Kristen was saying tweet at her uh <laughs> <laughs> tweet tweet any of your thoughts at her um, and then just to settle in because Kristen now it's time uh, we're very excited to get to chat with uh, our special guest this week uh, here's my conversation with executive producer of the masked singer Craig Plestis Listeners, the top-rated new series of the TV season is The Masked Singer. It's also the only series I know to feature a bee with a perfect voice singing a Miley Cyrus song backed up by Victorian dancers. Uh, we are very honored to have with us executive producer Craig Plestis. Uh, Craig, I have so many questions about The Masked Singer, uh, many of which I'm sure you can't answer. But I guess the first is, um, what was it about this concept that you thought would translate for American audiences that, that would, you know, would make it such a big hit? You know, that's a good question. You know, it's, and I think the, the biggest aspect about it is the guessing and the whodunit nature of the show. We thought it was going to work, and especially when we were filming the episode itself, everyone was playing the game along, all the crew people as well as our panel. And we thought it would also be infectious for America, but not to the degree that we got. I mean, when you go online, after our show airs, it is incredible, the engagement level. So I think that is the part of the magic ingredient of why the show works. And the other part is it's just a fun 
show to watch. You know, in these divisive times, especially in the winter, it's just nice to relax with your family and be able to uh, just play along and be entertained with the spectacle of seeing a hippo, a bee, and uh, and a monster (laughs) dance on your screen. Oh, the, the monster is absolutely my favorite. And I loved that uh, in the last week's episode, um, uh, I believe he was now wearing a, a leather jacket that said American Monster uh, on the back of it, which I'd love to purchase if, if, if that's available <laughs> anywhere. Um, but, uh, you know, you're talking about the mystery. I'd love to know what was it like, you know, creating that mystery? I mean, how many people involved in, in the production of the first season even knew the identities of the actual celebrities? Yeah, it, 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 it was a very small group of people that, that actually knew the identities. And we did that on purpose, obviously, because we wanted to try to do our best as producers to keep it quiet. And there were only a handful of people at the network uh, that knew. It's a very small group and a very small group on the production side itself. So, you know, that became part of the problem of making a show like this by keeping everything a secret from the rest of your crew. Uh, But it was necessary to, to do that. So we're here today having that discussion of who exactly is underneath those outfits. (laughs) And I'd love to know, you know, um, we've already seen, you know, a a few uh, masked celebrities have been unmasked, uh, Tori Spelling, Mm -hmm. Ricky Lake, Margaret Cho. Um, What was it like sort of getting some of these people involved in the show? It seems like such an interesting ask to sort of say, you know, you'll you'll be on stage, it's going to be very glitzy, but, you know, we're not going to know it's you for the vast majority of of your time on screen. (laughs) I'd, I'd love to say it was the easiest thing in the world, it it wasn't you know it's it, 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 like any new show but but again if you do any new show it's hard to cast anything that, that, that's unproven and untried uh there are many people that we went out to that that uh that we showed a little sizzle reel of you know what, what the show is about and they said well interesting call, call us in season two when it works <laughs> um and, and I, I remember who those people are and but um but but what happened was, you know, the, the people that, that, that are on the show now, uh, now it, it, they saw it and they, they got it. They, they love the idea of being hidden. And, and for some of our contestants who are not professional singers, they really wanted to show a side of themselves that they couldn't show in any other show at all. And, it, and plus, we had an incredible benefit to the, 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 that, that no other show could ever have. We told them, you can come to work. You don't have to wear makeup, and you don't have to do any PR. <laughs> and now, now, for a celebrity, that's like, what? <laughs> and so, so we're really, really lucky. We, we had a lot of, of a very passionate group of celebrities. And, and there's a little bit of a magic that happens um, that we didn't know was going to happen, actually. When uh, the longer they stayed in the competition underneath these masks, they really evolved. There's, a, there's great storytelling that's going to be coming up in the next few weeks of, of what they went through, because they were not allowed to talk to anyone on the set, again, keeping that secret. And so they were just very much pent up, and they learned a lot about themselves. They, there, was a, there was a lot of downtime that they had that they would ne- normally never have, because they would have people coming to them talking 
talking to them nonstop, and we would not let any of our crew talk to any of these uh, oh, celebrities. Fascinating. And so even, uh, so, it became so, so, quite a moment when they took the mask off. So, so even some of these uh, people now who've been on the show for, for, you know, these first several weeks, so even they're, they're coming back for their third or fourth go-round, and, and the whole time they're filming, just, like, no one's really speaking to them? Like, that, that, that's no fascinating. One speaks to them. No, they, that was part of it, because we couldn't, we couldn't allow having you know, in any way, someone figuring out, oh, that's their voice. So you, they couldn't speak because, you know, <laughs> you hear their voice, you know, as they would be walking from, from one area to the other. They all, uh, always had to wear masks, not the, not the masks that they have on the stage, but masks uh, when they walked out of their trailers. Uh, they couldn't get out of their trailers unless they, you know, the security guard was with them at all times to make sure <laughs> no one lifted up their mask. And, uh, and they all wore big T-shirts that said, don't talk to me. So just that way we dumbed it down so everyone, they know, okay, can't talk to that person. Um, and it was, it, 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 these were the extremes that we had to go to even at this early stage because no one knew really what the show was about, but we wanted to keep that secrecy. And that's something that no other TV show has ever done before. Uh, just so you know, I would also buy that Don't Talk to Me t-shirt if that's available anywhere. That's going to be a, a popular piece of merchandise someday. Done. Done. <laughs> um, you know, uh, just thinking about some of the people that you've had on, one thing that I've really loved about the show is the costumes are just so wonderful and so elaborate and so detailed. And some of them even feel to me that they are ultimately somehow expressive of the celebrity underneath it. Uh, I'm, I'm thinking especially of, uh, like, now when I think of Tommy Chong, I'll kind of always think of a pineapple with an Aloha shirt and shades. Um, what was it like kind of, did the celebrities have any kind of interaction with what their outfit would become? Or was that any kind of a conversation? Or, 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 oh, no, no, or, they, 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 they had, we were very lucky. We, we kind of knew what outfits we wanted to go with and, and a little bit of the design side. So we had sketched out, you know, we had a wonderful designer um, that, that, that crafted all this stuff, an Emmy Award winner, uh, Marina Tobias. And, and she was just fantastic. But we sketched out over 20 different designs. And, um, and when we were bringing in our different celebrities in a secret hidden location in Los Angeles, meeting them <laughs> for, the, for, for the first time after they said they would be, uh, be able to do the show, we laid out all the sketches and we brought them in one at a time. They never bumped into each other. And we said, which one do you gravitate toward? And everyone picked a particular outfit that, that meant something for them. And, and then they started going in depth uh, about why they liked it. And, and a couple people uh, were actually crying because they re brought up memories of the, from, from childhood, and then they customized bits and pieces of the outfit. You brought up Tommy. Like, Tommy initially um, didn't have a peacock on I mean, uh, a parrot on his shoulder and he put the parrot there and named it Paris after his son so everybody did their own little customizations and uh, really got the outfit that spoke to them Oh, that's that, that's so fabulous. What, what was it about the deer that attracted Terry Bradshaw? Because I mean, that that, that outfit is going to haunt my nightmares for many years <laughs> to come. I think. <laughs> I, I think you know he gravitated toward that one. I think a lot of it was uh, in, in, in in that that was one of the earlier ones. We designed it really for him. And, and when you look at the etchings of the um, the deer mask that he wore, 
it's 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 almost like a football. It has a football stitching on it. So there are clues. There's clues within all the outfits as well. If you look close enough, that you can kind of go. Huh, it looks like a football etching. Maybe he's, there's some a football element there. Uh, so, uh-huh. so, you know, it's not just the clue packages that we have in the show. It's not just their voices from singing. Everything is around designed to hopefully help you know anyone who's watching the show. If they're really paying attention and they really want to solve it, they can solve it. Uh huh. Um, you're talking so much about the secrecy that went into this show. Um, you know, the Masked Singer has been ordered for a second season. And first yeah. of all, I want to say I want to say congratulations. Um, Thank you so but, much. But, but I do wonder. Your job seems to have gotten quite a bit harder um, because you know the, the sheer success of this show. I have to imagine the, the kind of counterintelligence that'll go into keeping the secrets in second season are uh, going to be difficult. Is that already something that's kind of on your mind? How you're going to maintain oh, it, it, the mystery? It, it keeps me up at night and I'm, I'm not kidding you it is you know it, it's difficult enough to make a you know a hit show in today's world and and we're very lucky we have a we have you know a number one show right now and but but to add this layer of secrecy is monumental we had we had a gigantic amount of security and, and precautions in place in season one and, and we were not on anyone's radar and we still <laughs> went gangbusters so we're going to have to do double duty in season two to make sure we keep that secret uh, because without that secret we don't have a show and we really want to have the, everyone in america to, to have that chance to uncover that secret themselves and not to be spoiled. Uh huh. Um, will there be kind of all new animals in season two? Oh, all new yeah, animals, every, all new outfits. Yes. Yeah, I, I can guarantee you. Um, every season, you know, and hopefully there's more than just season two. Uh, you'll see a whole new batch of characters that come across. Uh-huh. So it, it, it's it's unlike any other show as well. You're going to get you know besides just different celebrities, these different characters. So so it feels fresh and different. Um, you also might see some of the older characters come back, but not in a competition way. Oh, uh, interesting. Just, you know, you, you know, you never want to say completely goodbye to the hippo, you know? So. <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> um, you know, uh, while we're talking about uh, the second season, um, I'd love to know, uh, you know, you kind of mentioned that this first season was filmed uh, back in the fall, I believe. Um, is there any inkling, would season two involve any live elements? Is, is that something that, that, you, that you've kind of thought about as you've been conceiving the kind of next version of, uh, of this show? Yeah, you know, we're still debating on how, you know, you know, when and how we're going to be shooting season two. So, you know, is there going to be a live element or not? I really can't answer that at this stage. Mm-hmm. But, you know, mm-hmm. we, we are thinking about all, all, all ways to shoot it. So uh-huh. um, I, I want to talk a little bit about the judges panel. Um, yeah. You know, th- their kind of interplay has been so delightful. But I, I do have to ask, because um, we keep seeing them use binoculars. Is-, is there a reason why they're so far from the stage? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so they can use binoculars. That's why uh, it's, it's a great moment. Um, you know, you know, we wanted you know, in this sense. You know, you know, every show usually has the jury right up in front of the stage, right and center, and we really wanted to look at changing the dynamic of how a set is, and 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 we really wanted to put the fans first 
up uh-huh. there. And, 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 and for our panel to be sitting way in the back, seeing everything in scope. So they're not just watching the performer. They're watching the audience. They're watching everything in total. And, uh, and, and I think it was a, a fresher way to do a show like that. And, uh, and plus you get that great comedy moment of them taking out their binoculars. <laughs> uh, Craig, uh, you were kind of mentioning just the sort of bigness of the performances, and that's been such a big part of the fun of the show, just the great choreography and everything happening on stage. Um, do you have any favorite performances uh, um, from this season? Yeah, you know, I, 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 I absolutely do. There is a performance coming up, and it's coming up for episode eight. It's, a, it's, it's two weeks from now. I can't tell you what it is or who it is at this moment. But what I can tell you, it, it was it was so dramatic and so emotional, the song and, the, and, and what happened, and also a little bit of the story that the character told afterwards, that everyone was crying in the booth as well as the stage in our panel. And, and, and then we started looking around, we're like, okay, why are we getting verklempt here? And, and we're looking, you know, it's a, it's a, you know, this animal on stage, it's not even a human being, you can't make the connection. But all of them became real to, to, to everyone after just living with them for so many weeks. And in, 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 in the episode that we just aired the other night, too, Jenny said, uh, like, I can't believe, like, when, when, when Peacock, whenever you take your mask off, or maybe it was Nicole, whenever you take your mask off, I'm going to see a Peacock underneath it. I can't believe there's a real human underneath it. Because they, they, they've come alive. So uh, there's a lot of special moments. And also, uh-huh. the, the, the great thing about our show, too, is, it is as you mentioned, it's the spectacle. It, it, mm-hmm. it, it, it's not just someone singing on the stage by themselves, you know, in, in a fuzzy outfit it's those dancers <laughs> it's the lighting you know that's what you know what what we can still do with broadcast tv and making an event yeah it, it feels like such a it feels very old-fashioned in that way but at the same time it is just you know so brand new and definably something that i've never seen before um yeah. I'd, I'd, I'd love to know craig uh, we kind of ask all of our guests a couple questions about their mm-hmm. relationship to television um what was the first tv show that you remember loving Oh gosh, um, that's a good question. You know, you know, I grew up in uh, upstate New York in Binghamton, and and I always kind of call it a time warp zone where like whatever happened on the airwaves, they, they came to Binghamton like ten years later. And so it's in 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 one of the it was it was it's truly it was a repeat shows at that time, but something I gravitated to. I love the old Twilight Zone shows, and because of the unexpected nature of the storytelling as well as just again just the weirdness and the bizarre nature of it and, and that's and and i see a little bit of that with the, that goes on in the mass singer there is that bizarre otherworldly uh, nature to this show as what twilight zone tapped into but uh but maybe not as much of a moral tale <laughs> well, certainly some of the kind of introductory videos really get to that Rod Serling place. I think it's fair to say. Oh, it absolutely does. And yeah, they, they, they get, they get by, by the way, wait until the finale. The finale <laughs> has so many great moments in it. You, you're going to have a lot to <laughs> talk about. Um, we also love to know, uh, you know, obviously you're a, you're a very busy person right now, but uh, are there any TV shows that you're loving right now? 
Um, you know, you know, right now, um, I, I haven't been able to, you know, th- watch a lot of other shows that, that's going on. Uh, you know, I still love, you know, I worked on America's Got Talent, you know, for, for many years over, over at NBC. I still think Got Talent is one of the best shows on television, and uh, in their champion edition that they're doing right now is fantastic. So it's nice to see something that just keeps getting better and better, like a fine wine, and mm-hmm. so I, I say kudos to them for doing such a great job. And Craig, I'd love to know, you know, at your time at NBC, you know, you worked on America's Got Talent, The Biggest Loser, yep. Deal or No Deal, these, these, you know, huge kind of like shows at a time when it felt like reality TV was still in some ways kind of brand new. Has, has it gotten harder or is it, is it more complicated now to launch a sort of reality unscripted show? I think it, it, it is harder in in what we're against right now is is the ability to try something different. I commend Fox and, and Rob Wade and everyone over there for buying the Mass Singer. It, it is a bold and in scary buy because it's so different. But <laughs> I really believe uh, you just can't be derivative. You have to be fresh. And, and I know from my time at NBC, every time I try to do something different, I always won. And then every time I try to do something that was safe, it either failed or just did it like a one base hit. <laughs> when we did America's Got Talent, no one wanted to do variety on TV. Variety was a bad word. And 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 when and when I was pitched, actually America's Got Talent uh, by Simon, it was originally it, it was. Uh, it was a pilot that was done for ITV. ITV passed on the pilot. Uh, then it was pitched to Fox. Fox passed on America's Got Talent. And, and I really wanted to be in business with Simon for a long time. And I went to his house, watched the pilot, and, uh, and I knew right away there's something special here. It wasn't the greatest pilot in the world, and we had to do some work on it, but it had the X's, and the X's were the magic ingredient within that that brought the variety acts to life and plus we had simon's name to help sell it too so you know that, that you look for moments and little bits of pieces that can make a show just click in for for the viewer and that was one deal or no deal we when when, when i brought that over to nbc no one did game shows on any network for several years and that was a bold chance uh, of trying something different and and luckily it worked it's fair to say that Mass Singer has definitely done something very different and has definitely worked. Um, you've already kind of teased a little bit, some exciting performances, some fun stuff in the finale. Is there anything else that uh, we can expect from the re- from the remaining episodes of this season of The Mask Singer? Yeah, you know, you know there, there's, um, in the next week uh, coming up, uh, we, for the very first time, all the left, uh, all the competitors that are in the game are going to be performing against each other for the first time. So that's a, a big dramatic moment, and it's action-packed. What, what goes on in that episode? Then the week after that, there are two unmaskings, double eliminations. <laughs> that is incredible because we never did that before. It's like what? So, so I think a lot of people are going to be talking about who's underneath those two masks. Fantastic. And then our finale is just, it is incredible. We have three of the best performers left in the game, and, uh, and they give all their heart out to, to, you know, to win our mask trophy.
Uh-huh. Uh, the Masked Singer airs Wednesdays at 9 o'clock p.m. on Fox. Uh, Craig, thank you so much for uh, speaking to us today. Oh, thank you so much for letting me. I really appreciate it. That concludes this week's episode of Best of Shows. Uh, you can listen to us and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever your podcasts are potted. And when you do that, give us a rating, give us a review. We're critics, so that means we have to be open to criticism, unfortunately. So let us know what you think. Uh, and while you're doing that, give us a, a tweet. Talk to us. We're here. We want to hear from you. Uh, she's at Kristen G. Baldwin. I'm at Darren Franich on Twitter. I should have a catchphrase, but I don't. So goodbye. Goodbye.